So welcome, everyone, to another Crisis Conversation live from the Better Life Lab. I'm Bridget Schulte. I'm the director of the Better Life Lab. Welcome once again to my home office. <laughs> uh, when we started these conversations, as you all know, we started uh, with the idea that we were all isolated and that this virus and pandemic was upending everything about how we work and live and our family life. It was an opportunity to come together to share stories. And now, as it continues on week after week, we're really looking for understanding. What is this virus showing? Sort of the cracks in the system. Uh, what can we learn and how can we emerge better and stronger? So today, we're going to be talking about single parents. We're going to start with Allison. Allison, we had a, 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 an episode a couple weeks ago where we looked, we were talking about the gender division of labor at home, that women are still doing twice the amount of housework and childcare, typically pre-pandemic, and it's really an open question about whether the pandemic is making things worse or if there's more sharing or if this is an opportunity to reset. And you got in touch with me and you said, that's all well and good, but what if you are a single parent? And we do live in a country where the majority of children are being raised, uh, or, uh, you know, we have the most uh, single parent um, households for children in this country. So tell us, what, what was it like before the pandemic and how are you navigating and surviving in the pandemic? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Bridget. Um, my name is Allison Griffin. I um, am a single mom of two boys. They are 12 and 10. I will say the pandemic has upended routines that I had very carefully stitched together mm -hmm. um, over the last four years. Um, mm -hmm. I work remotely. I have worked remotely um, for 13 years. Uh, my current employer is based in Washington, D.C. I live outside of Boulder, Colorado. Um, I travel frequently for my job. Um, my boys, I have a, a custody arrangement um, mm -hmm. where my boys spend half the time with their dad and half the time with me. Um, and I will say up until about seven weeks ago, uh, the process of my life was very carefully stitched together. And mm -hmm. what um, the pandemic has shown me is where the fault lines lie um, in the system that I had constructed for myself. Um, my boys, uh, you know, of course, attend school full time, but they then partake in an after school program. So between the hours of 730 to 6, I have consistent childcare or school arrangements for them. Which makes, I imagine, makes being able to focus on work a whole lot easier. You can actually get it, you can actually get it done. Absolutely. And I would say over the last, well, so when, when all of this started, we were um, upon spring break and our schools um, closed for the week before spring break. And then of course we had spring break. So for two weeks, um, as we were sort of starting into a, a new normal, um, I had to figure out what my boys were going to do for that time. But I, mm -hmm. I think I took for granted that um, we <laughs> that we weren't going to be in that situation for very long. I speculated it might be a few weeks. Yeah. I certainly didn't expect that it would be months. And now yeah. as um, you know, the governor of Colorado has talked a lot about planning for the fall um, and planning to possibly be online intermittently. Wow. And, and so... You know, I begin to think not just about the next three weeks. Uh, school ends in 13 days. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what summer will look like. But then how this routine is really going to change mm -hmm. as I get into the fall semester. 
you know, one of the things that's, that that strikes me, you talk for a lot of single parents, I mean, the time use research shows that single parents are among the most time starved and busy of all people on the planet, just because you have to do everything. And that you really rely on networks, networks of friends, networks of neighbors, informal and formal networks, uh, other family members. But in an era of social distancing, you you have no network. It's, it's really all you, isn't it? That's right. Um, I've been talking to a lot of my friends who are in dual um, adult homes, you know, whether that's a spouse or a partner or a parent or a grandparent or a friend. I don't have that luxury right now. It is me and my boys. And so mm-hmm. what I've said to those who have another adult in the home, think of all the things you do and yeah. then think of all the things that the other adult does. Now take that other adult out of the scenario and you are now doing what both of you do. And so for me, um, you know, I'm helping with homework at the same time that I'm on, you know, five to six hours worth of conference calls or mm. Zoom meetings. Yeah. I'm resolving technology glitches when the, you know, my boys say the internet went down and I have to figure that out for all of us. Right. Um, I have to go to the store during the day because the stores close at eight o'clock. And so mm-hmm. I can't wait until eight or 10 at night to just run out to pick up a single item. In Colorado, it's snow. It snowed four times wow. since the beginning of March. So I'm, you know, shoveling the walk while I'm helping with homework and thinking about dinner that night. There isn't anybody else who can can pitch in. And you know, even in in the pre-pandemic era, um, when I would rely on friends and family or I would pay a, a sitter. I can't have anyone else in the house to help me with those things right now. Right, right. Well, thank you so much for that, Allison. It looks like we've got Nasus Davis on the line now. So if we could, I'd love to go to you, Nasus. You know, when we spoke, we were talking uh, when I was doing reporting around health and health workers. You're a nurse practitioner in the Chicago area. And then you also became a foster mother to three very young children early on, uh, just as the pandemic was starting to hit. Uh, are, are you there, Anasas? Can you tell us your story? I'm here. Oh, great. Tell us what it's been like for you. Uh, a total nightmare. <laughs> Say that. Um, I came from not having any responsibility but myself uh, to having responsibility for now four of us. Um, the kids are through the DCFS services, but they are not helpful at all. Either that or they did not plan for ever having any kind of state of emergency situation. Mm. Uh, I had to figure out babysitting on my own because of the simple fact that all of the daycares closed. But when they closed, the I was informed that the DCFS daycare center was not supposed to close to these children. Well, that was a joke. Hmm. So I have missed work. I've missed money. I've uh, DCFS would not answer their phones. <laughs> wow. They did not return any of my calls when I did reach out to numbers that I did have until I finally I reached somebody who was not even on my case. Hmm. She kind of helped me through, which was a little bit helpful, but I still struggle with the fact that I have more than one mouth to feed now. Uh, my job itself uh, is not that that helpful. Um, and being understanding that uh, I didn't cause this pandemic. Um, <laughs> and so when I need time off for these kids, because I have no one to watch them, uh, they 
kind of don't understand that. And that's been a huge nightmare. Mm. Um, Money-wise, it's been very tight. (laughs) Again, I have more than one mouth to feed. And milk is not free out there. Right. Uh, Neither are the services, obviously. Um, And when you try to go into places, I think I heard one of the um, people on here say something about not being able to make it to the store until eight o'clock, but the stores have closed. Well, yeah. Here in Chicago, we're closing at five o'clock. So if I didn't get out, uh, pack the kids up and have somebody help me or sit in the car, while I run in, because, of course, you don't want to take the children in. They're only right. uh, five-month-old twins and then a 15-month-old. Wow. Then it's kind of scary because how are they going to eat for the rest of the night? So, uh, you know, so you have these three children, five-month-old twins and, you know, a, a baby just over one, it sounds like. Uh, and when the child care center closed, you know, what did you do? You know, were you able to get like the emergency paid family and medical leave that Congress passed? That was supposed to help people in your situation when the, you know, when child care closed down. Did you, were you able to to use that or what did you do? Ha, ha, ha. I laugh at that. <laughs> um, they got on TV and they talked about how you were supposed to have free I mean, free um, child care if you were a frontline worker. Well, they gave a website that was already up and running prior to the pandemic, which was not free. You had to put your credit card on there. Well, if I'm not working, I sure don't have money on my credit card. Yeah. Um, You call, you try to call around to get help to go through the website. Not helpful at all. They're Mm. like, yeah, well, here's a website and just go figure it out. So what did you what did you end up doing to get childcare so you could go back to work? Honestly, I had to fly one of my friends in from out of state who uh, was not working due to the same pandemic. So I haven't even been able to pay her really, but mm-hmm. because she's a good friend, she's been here with the kids, helping wow. to take care of them uh, from time to time. My boyfriend, when he's not out going to look for certain work. He's here helping out too. Did you did you have any like paid sick days that you could use to 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 cover the time? I had did you have absolutely nothing? <laughs> I had no paid sick time, and the reason why is because I had a mother that just recently had a kidney, so I was off with her mm. prior to the prior to receiving these kids. Yeah, and so I had no more sick time uh, for a family leave or anything. So all of these days that I've been off have been literally out of my own pocket. My savings is like completely depleted. My credit wow. score went from a seven hundred now to the five hundred. <laughs> so wow. I mean, I've been trying to make ends meet, and when I, like I said, when I reach out to DCFS, no help. No help wow. whatsoever. Well, Nasus, thank you for sharing that. You're, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but it does sound like a nightmare. But thank you for sharing your story. You know, we'll come back to you in a minute. But at this point, let me go to Nicole. Um, Nicole Sussner Rogers. She's the founder and executive director of Family Story. It's a think tank that's dedicated to really understanding how 21st century families come together, are formed, and how we need to support them. You know, you've heard Allison talk about uh, all of the the additional pressure that single parents face in a pandemic, and Nasus's story, where she, you know, 
if we're looking at how uh, the pandemic is showing the cracks in the system, she has fallen through every single one of them. So, you know, Nicole, what are you seeing out there? What are single parents struggling with? And and what is this showing in terms of our system that isn't working and that does need to change? I think the short answer is that all of our systems to support families are broken. If anything, this has made that um, even more crystal clear. Nobody raising children survives on their own. Everybody needs help. And I think what has happened to people like um, Eunasis during in the midst of this is really a disgrace. And, you know, the only good I can hope from any of this is it's a wake up call to everybody that um, we're all interdependent. Nobody is an island. Nobody is completely self-reliant. And our policies um, and institutions have failed entirely to keep us afloat. And one thing I've been thinking a lot about in the midst of this is, you know, the what's been so dangerous about the idea um, that is so this sort of cultural idea that sort of two married parent families, nuclear families are these sort of self-contained and self-reliant units that don't need anybody else. And, and that's why they're, they're something we should desire. And the reality is that even for two parent families, everybody requires outside help, whether that's paid help, paid domestic labor, or whether that's just friends and family and neighbors stepping in. Mm-hmm. It is not possible to work and raise children with no other help. When it comes to um, single parents who are, you know, a quarter of children are being raised by single parents. What has always struck me as really the sort of the most insulting idea that people sometimes carry about single parents is this idea that somehow the reason to discourage single parenthood or the reason not to support single parents is, well, they'll become dependent on the system. Mm. Look at a person like Gnosis. She's taken in and is trying to raise three children. If that's not being the opposite of, that is helping the world in an incredible way, first of all. Exactly, exactly. But I think, you know, what's so crazy to me is that if this moment doesn't prove to us that it doesn't even work for those nuclear family homes, I mean, how do we expect it to work for single parents? It doesn't work for anybody. And single parents are the front lines of so much of this. And the fact that we can pass a stimulus bill that gives dual income earners, that gives homes with two parents who are both earning incomes twice as much money as really single parents right is in itself i think an outrage i mean what we know about single parents versus two-parent homes is that if you have two parents you tend to have not always but you almost always have more savings more income and more hands to help so if anything in this moment single parents should be getting at least as much if not more than dual income earner families Mm. Mm-hmm. And yet, it, it, it's, it actually strikes me as almost comically outrageous that, mm. that, that essential workers are often exempt from a lot of the stimulus support. Right. And a lot of them are single parents. So we're telling people, and I'm assuming that, Nasus, you might be considered an essential worker because you're a, a nurse practitioner. We're telling people, you're exempt. You have to go. You need to go to work. Um, you don't get paid time off. You have to go to work. And Congress never provided 
any backup for those families when it came to child care. I mean, right. that was putting everybody in an absolutely impossible position. And it was never good before the pandemic, but it is truly impossible for people now. Thank you so much, Nicole. You know, at this point, um, we've got Ann Hoffman on the line. She's one of the participants. Tell us your story. Hi, uh, my name is Ann Hoffman. I am a single parent, um, but I also uh, teach at a community college and my research area is actually on um, single mothers. And so many of my students who I work with, I don't work exclusively with single moms, but um, I can tell you my life has upended in the last um, eight weeks, very similarly to Allison's in that um, I have a shared custody agreement with my ex-husband, but he's an essential worker. He's, he's, a, he's a physician. So I am aware that um, I'm in a very different financial position than my students who are struggling right now. Um, but my life, like I said, has upended in the sense that I don't have a 50-50 custody arrangement right now because my, my kiddos need to be with me right. um, because my ex-husband is working um, full-time kind of around the clock. And, and it's just very difficult to focus right now, to be honest, and yeah. help my kiddos through their, uh, their coursework and the things that they're working on here. But um, my students are not in that same position. Many of them are essential workers. They're trying to juggle going to school taking care of their kiddos, many of whom are, are, are very quite young, um, and they're putting themselves at risk each day, and there are no safety nets for, for their protection um, in terms of, um, you know, paid time off, um, even, uh, you know, health care mm -hmm. for them because of their part-time. If they're going to school part-time, many of them are also working part-time. It's terrifying to watch that there are many people in much worse positions than I am and aware of the way that this rupture in our country is revealing um, revealing a crisis that has always existed, but is yeah. now visible because people who are in more privileged positions are feeling the crunch as well. Right, uh, exactly. Thank you so much for sharing that, Anne. Let me go back to you, Nicole. You know, so here we've got this pandemic that's showing us these these ruptures across race and class in particular. So what do we do? What do we learn? What should we do moving forward? What are, th you know, what are some policies and how do we design them? How do we remove some of the stigma? How do we accept 21st century families and support all of them in whatever form they choose to be configured in? How many hours do we have? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I mean... You know, I think there's some obvious policy fixes and they're not going to be easy, but I think if we haven't realized how critical they are now, I don't know when we will. We need paid family leave for everyone. We need paid sick leave. We need to use the broadest definition of family in those bills. So we need to make sure that when we say you can take leave for your family, that family includes foster children, family-like relationships, chosen family, etc. We need free or affordable health care for all that is not attached to employment. And I'll add one of the things Family Story works on, not attached to marriage. The idea that somehow any of your benefits are contingent upon or reliant on a marriage is, is a really crazy idea that none of our peer countries ever would consider. Yeah, even our even our tax policy, it, it favors not only heterosexual married couples, it also favors breadwinner homemaker couples that we really haven't seen since the 1950s. Yeah, it's stuck in the, there's a few of our policies that are literally stuck in the 1950s. None of them have evolved enough. Things like Social Security, I mean, you can live and raise children your whole life with a partner that you are not married to, but is just just like a married partner, and they can't collect your survivor benefits. There's no real good reason for things like that. So things like that 
have to change. And I would say in general, anything, any benefits that's conditioned on a particular family relationship, like a marriage is not really a good one because that is, those are things that ebb and flow and change in people's lives. You can't assume everybody will get married, that they'll stay married, that their marriage will be good, that they won't have to leave for a variety of often very dangerous reasons even. So that's that's the, the sort of policy fix front. And I think on the sort of um, institutional front in our workplaces, you know, we have to walk the walk. We have to think particularly, I think one thing I hear all the time from single parents is, you know, there's a few particular workplace practices that make single parenting completely impossible. One is things like, um, just-in-time scheduling. Not being right. able to know your schedule in advance is impossible if you're trying to plan care. It also makes your finances impossible. Absolutely. And the other thing is even for higher income earners who are single parents who have more professional kind of white-collar class jobs, the expectation that they travel and that they do evening events without stipends or anything to sort of help uh, buffer that assumes they have somebody else who can care for their children in the evenings and when they travel. And that's not the case either for a lot of people. Why don't we give people stipends for, for child care in those cases? You know, the major change we need going forward is we need to stop sort of assuming there's this hierarchy of family types that mm-hmm. work best and that the goal is for everybody to get there because it's just not reasonable and it's not what everybody wants. And even if they want it, it's not what everybody gets. Yeah. Great point. You know, we have Liz Willen, an old friend of mine. I'm so thrilled that you're here. We're in graduate school together. I'm afraid to say how many years ago. Um, Liz, you've been writing a lot about um, uh, the single parent challenges going to college. I'd love to hear your perspective uh, and what you're what you're writing about, what you're seeing. Absolutely. Um, I spent the week talking to single parents, most of them who are students at community colleges. And I was trying to figure out how to make people understand just how vulnerable this population is um, already. Even before this crisis, one in five, there's one in five college students are are parents, by the way. That is not a statistic that anybody really thinks about. And aware of. And um, now they're trying to navigate education at the same time as um, think about it, it's a perfect storm, right? Their daycares are closed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe they're working. If one of the women I spoke with is, is working at a Waffle House. Now she's only able to work one day a week on takeout. And her friend and she and her friend are trading off uh, for childcare on those other days. Wow. Childcare is closed. Schools are closed. And they're also trying to homeschool their children while finishing their education. We wow. already had a college completion crisis in this country, particularly community colleges have abysmal rates. But now for this population, it's so challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, the other piece that we really haven't discussed here is the lack of internet. And a lot of the community right. colleges that I spoke to realized as they tried to reach out to students to help, how few had hotspots, iPads, um, computers. And if they did, think about the competition. You've got a couple of kids working on um, trying to do their remote schooling and the parents are trying to do their work as well, or at least their schoolwork. But Mm -hmm. the irony struck me of being a single parent going back to school. The the woman at the Waffle House, Anisha Thomas, that I was telling you about is 35 years old, decided to go back to school to be an example for her children, single mom. And something like this happens, and she just said, I can't do this. I can't do this, too. Mm -hmm. And everyone just got together there and said, we'll give you extensions. We'll help you. You've got to finish. Yeah. And um, so she's staying in school. That was heartening. 
Well, that's yeah, but but look at uh, she's bearing so much of that load on her own shoulders. Allison, I saw you nodding vigorously. Let's go to you. What <laughs> what were you? What's going through your mind as you're hearing some of these stories? Well, actually, just even as Liz was talking, um, you know, a lot of the work that I do on a day to day basis is um, in the higher education space, and I think you know the thing I'd like to maybe leave with, um, from my perspective is, you know, I think we have to be really careful about, you know, not making policy around just anecdote, but Mm. to really dive into the data. There's work being done by um, Imaginable Futures. Um, They have a, and they're working with a lot of other organizations on the RISE Prize um, to begin to elevate solutions for not just student parents, um, you know, in college, but, um, you know, parents across the board who are trying to support education and and family at the same time. Um, And I think if we can begin to gather data from, you know, so many different sources, but, you know, like a USA Facts, right, who they are calling data um, from government sources, um, both on single parents, but also on COVID response. And how do we begin to to bring some of that data together to Mm -hmm. actually inform a lot of the solutions that Nicole was talking about? Um, We have an incredible opportunity right now to, to, to tell these stories in a pretty powerful way. And hopefully make some really powerful change. Well, I'd love to, you know, we're, we're coming to the end of our time. I'd love to, to go back to you, Nasus. You know, here, here you are. You've been through this nightmare, but opened your home to three children who really needed, the, needed your help. What do you think that single parents need? You know, what do we need to be learning and where do we need to go from here? Honestly, uh, especially workers who are considered essential. Mm-hmm. They should have a um, a stimulus package set aside for them so that you can be able to help the people that's in your household. And you won't have those those worries on top of, am I going to get sick just to go out and help somebody else? Yeah. Trying to work, uh, trying to bring resources back into the home. Congress really does need to offer more hands-on. Truly offer more hands on and not just stand on the news (laughs) and say things that really does not exist. Yeah. You know, in in your own experience. So, you know, you you had said when we were talking earlier that, uh, you know, that you'd really wanted to become a mother. And so that's why you opened your home as a foster mother. You know, given this experience, is this something that you think you might do again? (sighs) That's a good question. (laughs) <laughs> Honestly speaking, um, if I did it, it would totally be on my own. DCFS would not be involved. So that means that I would have set aside uh, the resources that I need to be able to take care of the children that I'm taking in. Um, I would never open up my home, and I hate to say that, I would never open up my home to do it through DCFS and um mm-hmm. And be put in a position where I have to now, it's like a, you know, sink or swim. Like, are we going to be able to make it tomorrow? And when your your back is up against the wall, it makes you start to think crazy. Like, oh, my God, I got all of these kids and me. I can't go to work because I have nobody to watch them. Mm-hmm. Um, almost made me want to take the kids into the job and just sit them at the, at the counter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And say, here I am, I need to make money, and you guys aren't helping me. So here we are as a family. We're going to try to do this together. Wow. And, and, you, and you go to work in a hospital where you're caring for, for COVID patients, which is dangerous for you and dangerous for them, too. In the emergency room. That is correct. Mm. Um, 
And so to be perfectly honest with you, it, it kind of made me not ever want to go this route mm. ever again. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story, Nasus and Allison. Nicole, thank you for, for coming and sharing your perspective and Anne and Liz for sharing your stories as well. Thank all of you for, for being part of these conversations, helping us figure out what's going on and, and what we can learn and how we can emerge better and how we can support our single parents so that they aren't in this sink or swim kind of a situation moving forward. Um, we hope you'll join us next week. We're going to be revisiting our uh, the emergency paid sick days law, and we're going to be talking to Jody Heyman with the World Policy Research Center, and where they've looked at uh, paid sick leave policies all around the globe and how the U.S. stacks up. So we hope you'll join us then. And until then, wash your hands, stay healthy, safe, and sane, and we'll see you next week.